Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening, Happy New Year, and welcome back to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, sitting across the broadcast desk from me in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening. It's good to be back in your home this evening, and thank you so much for allowing us to do that. We are looking forward to interacting with you. And I don't mean you just listening to us. I mean you asking questions and sharing your thoughts and listening to a biblical perspective of our topic and questions tonight. Now, Pastor, I'm excited to be back after a two-week break, get our batteries recharged, and uh, get back in the studio and be able to answer questions from a biblical worldview. Our topic tonight is one that I have looked forward to discussing for some time and getting a biblical perspective. Our topic tonight is one that has piqued the interest of many people, both Christians and those who do not claim to follow the Christian faith. It's a topic that evokes strong emotion in many, if not all, who discuss it. And we are looking forward to tonight looking at what the Bible has to say about our topic, which is that of slavery. Pastor, as you often do, can you start out by discussing what is slavery? What There are many types of slavery. What do you mean by this topic? Well, I think the simplest uh, definition you can get, basically, is that slavery is the practice or system uh, of um, owning uh, slaves or owning other people. It's a condition where people are owned by another, and under the law, it meant that the slave became the property of an individual. He was like chattel, and he was deprived of the rights that were ordinary would be ordinary be given to, to normal people. In fact, uh, the slave was not even considered a subject; he was considered an object, uh, just like a tool or an implement. And so, basically, we're talking about um, owning people um, and um, having complete charge over their lives. That's the essence and substance of what slavery is about. Is it possible to answer who started slavery or where it began? Well, I I think if we want to be very uh, objective, we've got to recognize that um, slavery was not started by the Europeans for sure. I think because this happened in the Caribbean and the Americas and because the Europeans were the main perpetrators, uh, some people think that they began began this this whole atrocious uh, social crime against humanity. Uh, but really, slavery dates back uh, to the even prehistoric times. Uh, from the earliest period of hi- recorded history, um, there was slavery, and most advanced regions of the world uh, have always practiced slavery. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, it existed in virtually all known societies 
uh, from the very dawn of human history. For example, the earliest civilization, of course, in the Fertile Crescent uh, in Mesopotamia, you find that the Hammurabi Code there, the first law code that there is, uh, indoor slavery. You find slavery in Egypt. Uh, it was in Greece. It was in Rome. Also in India, in the Indus Valley, in China, in the Yangtze River Valley, in Southeast Asia, uh, it was in Africa. Even in pre-Columbian Americas, there was slavery. And those of you who uh, would like to source that, you can find Thomas Sowell's Race and Culture, a Worldview, uh, that um, uh, speaks to this matter and documents the fact that all of these uh, areas of the world, um, there was slavery. Um, The first true uh, slave society in history really emerged in ancient Greece uh, between the 6th and the 4th century BC. As a matter of fact, in Athens, one-third to one-half of the the population there were slaves. The Roman Empire that came after the Grecian Empire was even more dependent on the slave. Almost uh, 60% of their uh, people were, were slaves. During the Middle Ages, from the 500 to about 1500 AD, um, while slavery had de- declined in northwestern Europe, for example, it still persisted in places like Sicily, uh, southern Italy, Russia, uh, southern France, Spain, North Africa. And uh, as later the 15th century, uh, slavery uh, was not automatically a black slavery. Most of the slaves during that time came from Crimea, the Balkans, and the steppes in uh, Western Asia. Um, in fact, when the European trade uh, began, uh, when the Europeans first started trading, the uh, the Arabs were trading uh, slaves with the African middleman uh, for the uh, the, the um, Middle East. In fact, it's been estimated that um, between 7 to 14 million African slaves were transported across the Sahara Desert during the Arab slave trade between the 17th and the 19th century. Uh, that can be found in Philip's slavery from Roman times and uh, uh, Reagan and Seagal's Islam's black slaves, the other uh, black diaspora. So these are things that uh, um, are true. As far as the Caribbean and the American slave trade, um, it, that began in the 15th and the 16th century, and the dominant uh, powers that were controlling that trade in the 15th century was the Portugal and Spain. Um, they were purchasing African slaves from Africans and Arab middlemen, and they took them to work on the sugar plantations and the tobacco plantations in the Caribbean and the Latin Americas. And then in the 17th and 18th century, the slave trade was dominated by three major powers, England, French, uh, France and uh, the Dutch and the British uh, trade began in earnest about 1650 it's been estimated Nathan that during that time the amount of slaves transported from Africa to the across the Atlantic to the Americas it varies from 9 million to about 15 million that's been esp- estimated and there are three different writers that have uh, estimated those figures one called Philip D. Kirchhoff uh, J.D. Uh, uh, Ericoni and Paul E. Love, Lovejoy, their books uh, indicate this. But whatever the figure was, uh, we must admit that the transatlantic slave trade was one of the greatest forced migration um, in, in human history. And it was very, very, very inhumane. There's no question about that. But as far as it, uh, slavery, slavery has just been 
a human problem from the very inception. All civilizations have been involved with slavery at some point in time. It just became exacerbated because it became more of a racial thing within the the the, uh, the transatlantic trade during the, the 15th to the 19th century. And I think that's where the problem really lies because a lot of these slaves before were not just Africans. Uh, they were uh, people from the Balkans, Crimea, that area. Uh, but it became more of a a racial issue uh, because of the African trade, etc., uh, within the Caribbean. You mentioned nine, somewhere between nine and fifteen million. Yeah. Some people put as much as, as twenty, but the figures have been reduced okay. uh, to about nine to thirteen million people. If there's a God, how can a loving God allow that to happen, Pastor? Well, uh, the thing we got to realize is that God, God's plan has never been that man be in bondage. When you go back to the creation story. Uh, man had the greatest freedom, an uh, entire world to himself, but making God the center. But the thing is that man rebelled against God, wanted to be autonomous, wanted to be self-independent, and discovered that in trying to be self-independent and going away from God, it ultimately led to sin, which ultimately led to all of these atrocities, including slavery. Slavery is the heritage of human sin as a result of human rebellion, and it became a form of punishment so that when one nation conquered another, uh, the other enslaved the, 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 the one that was conquered. But it is not that uh, God's plan, and one can go back to the creation story to see that it was never God's plan, but it is the heritage of man rebelling against God. and sin. We're living in a sinful, fallen world, and slavery is just one of the byproducts of that rebellion. How do we overcome the fact that we're living in a sinful, fallen world? Is there any hope? Yeah, the, the hope that we've got is not in man. The hope is in Jesus Christ. Uh, that is why he came. If man could solve the problem without Christ, Christ came in vain. But the biblical teaching is that human nature is so depraved that they need a supernatural power to uh, uh, restrain that and to give deliverance over that, uh, that those, those lusts and those desires and those evil thinking. If you read the book of Romans, which we are studying in our church, the Bible explains how the cross of Christ and Christ's death on the cross has really given man victory over the power of sin in his life. So the answer is not to be found in man. It's not to be found in the political system. It's found in Jesus Christ. That does not mean that uh, we must not appreciate that the government and politics have a role to play because the Bible makes it clear in the book of Romans 13 that government are put in place to restrain human sin and human uh, misbehavior. So government has a role in this, but ultimately the only real hope for mankind is not that man will solve its problems. This world has a one word written over it. It's called doom. It's a doomed planet and it's headed to a, a catastrophe. And we're not here to live forever. This is our preamble to eternity. And we're here to prepare for the next world. There's a new world coming and a new world Lord, and not the one that man talks about, but the one that comes when Jesus comes and sets up his throne and we've got the kingdom of God coming on planet Earth. You mentioned Jesus Christ is the answer. Is there a particular formula I have to follow? Do I just have to be religious? Do I just have to know the name of Jesus Christ? Do I just have to say it once a day? I think religion is the enemy of Christianity, to be honest with you. It's just like morality. The hardest people to meet or to reach with the gospel are moral people, people who think that they're nice and good people and they're philanthropists and, uh, you know, they've, they're goody-goody kind of people. To, to get those people to understand the need for Christ is one of the biggest problems. So I don't think the answer is religion. I think religion is the biggest barrier to, to real, genuine Christianity. Um, what we need to understand that the biblical doctrine is that man is a fallen creature. He's a rebel. Uh, he is guilty before God. 
uh, he stands condemned, and that God in his great love and his mercy and his grace has provided a means of man's forgiveness, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place of man's sin, he became our substitute, and now God offers man a free pardon, God offers man reconciliation, but in addition to that, God offers man that when he becomes a believer, God adopts into his family, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the human, and when God begins to perfect him and sanctify him and give him victory over his besetting sins. Going back to the topic of slavery, is it still practiced today, or is this something of the past? Oh, yeah. I think that sometime in the, maybe the next uh, time we, we get into this, we are going to point out, even though we're dealing with slavery, that slavery hasn't ended. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, one of the verses that used to make me kind of wonder, the Bible talked about God bringing judgment on those who are sla- uh, who, who hold people in slavery. And I couldn't understand that. So I, I mean, how could that be true in the modern? And then I began to do a little bit of reading. And I began to discover that there's a massive slave trade that still goes on. You call it human traffic, and of course, don't use the same term. But what's the difference between taking a, a man from Africa, bringing him over, putting him on plantation to work? What's the difference between that and taking young children and putting them into sex slaves? Mm. And what's the difference? It's, not, it's just that one is working in the field, one is working with their bodies. But it's abuse in, in any sense of the word, so that hasn't stopped. But then there are also um, in uh, places like uh, there's some African countries, for example, Sudan, that when they had the Civil War and they had um, they had conquered, they had to put some of those who conquered into slavery. So it's not something that is new, uh, mm-hmm. and something that is old and something that's not going on. There's still a lot of it still going on uh, today. Do you believe the Bible has the answer to ending slavery? I believe, look, if if man would do exactly what God has required, if we would treat every man uh, as ourselves, uh, which is the golden rule, uh, if we would respect the fact that man is made in the image of God, we're all creatures, that God loves not just one of us, he loves the world. If we would agree that Christ died not for one or two, he died for the whole world, all of that seemed to endorse the significance of the human uh, human being and that clearly uh, uh, God's redemptive love for all mankind would indicate that man has value not only as a creator but also as one who can be redeemed. And then if you look at the biblical teaching about treating your brother as yourself. Uh, you go into the epistles where Paul said, consider uh, one a person better than yourself. Uh, and the biblical doctrine is always that you treat your fellow being as yourself to love your neighbor. There are so many different biblical principles that if we were to live by those principles, there's no question that we'd be able to eradicate uh, uh, any kind of slavery or any kind of racism that might be there. Uh, I might add there later on to Nathan that one of the problems is that the church has compromised on on a lot of moral issues when it should have taken a stand against certain things because of political interests, because of even vested uh, financial interests, um, uh, because of uh, what was the public opinion at the time favoring a particular movement. Uh, The church failed to take its mandate seriously, and uh, as a result, it was either muted, silent, or sometimes deliberately voicing support for things that you cannot support biblically. And that has hurt the church. There's no question about it. We've got a lot of skeletons in in, in the past as far as our church history. But again, no one can come to the Bible to believe that what some things have been done by the church. Uh, And when I speak of the church, I'm really talking about the established church because the main war against slavery was not done by the established churches, uh, the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church and those kind of churches. It was done mainly by the Moravians, the Baptists, and the uh, Society for Jesus, which is the Quakers. These are the main ones, and then the Presbyterians. But... um, 
even even those who um, were responsible for tearing, bringing down slavery that I just mentioned, even in the South of America, for example, some of those churches really compromised. They didn't take a stand. And again, I think it was because of the social uh, structure of the time and the, and the feelings that people had. And the church made a massive mistake by not taking a stand so that there's a blemish uh, against the church for not taking a biblical stand on those issues. With that in mind, what can we learn from that uh, in a day and age where it, we're becoming more and more, the world is becoming more and more politically correct? Are there, how do you determine how much to allow culture to influence you before you put your foot down and say this is enough? Well, I think the problem we face today is that we are no longer a Judeo-Christian culture. We no longer operate on biblical moral principles. We are now living in a neo-paganistic age that believes in naturalism and um, pretty much evolution has, has, has pretty much won the day in terms of the secular world is concerned. As a result of that, we have no moral base any longer. We, 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 even in schools, for example, uh, we can't teach morals. We, we gotta, um, um, there's a term that is now being used. We teach them basically not, we can't tell them what is right and what is wrong. We must teach them how to think. Right, it's called value clarification. It doesn't talk about moral issues. <laughs> so, what has happened now that if we can, you know, this is the first generation I can think that is so silly that it is almost uh, forgotten the wisdom of old age. Mm. I mean, the value of old age and the wisdom and the experience is almost uh, pushed in the background and. Youth and young people are now pushing the forefront who have very little experience and very little moral standards. And so we are not living in a, in a world that has understand. And then relativism is now the, the main thing and the, the, the key ethic that there's a love ethic. If do it if it's loving, uh, not thinking of consequences. What I think the church needs to do is to, is to hold to biblical morality, take a stand on things that are right, not because of its public policy or social custom. What is the biblical principle involved here? And that's where I think when it came to the whole matter of the bondage of slavery, I think that the church made a mistake in not taking a firm stand. And not only that, if I might say this, I know um, after slavery, uh, look how many years after slavery there was still a lot of segregation that went yeah. on, right? Yeah. I mean, you can drive in the same car, you can drink from the same fountain, you go in the same theater. You think about that for just a moment. Uh, mm-hmm. And and when you, I was reading a book this week about it, and I was I was I was appalled when I began to read. And these are facts. This is not somebody trying to be a revolutionary now and trying to you know uh, blame and stuff like that. But they just saying this is what really happened. And I said I couldn't believe what was what what, what went on. And I think that the silence of the church during that period of time and not taking a stand, and again, I'm not referring to all churches. I refer, re- remind you that the Quakers, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, and the Methodists were in the forefront of this battle. Um, but really, a, a lot of the established churches accommodated it. Uh, again, because you remember that all of these were state churches. I mean, the, 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 the head of the, the, the Anglican Church is still the queen, <laughs> mm. believe it or not. I don't know how that is possible that a secular leader can be the head of a church, but that's how it is. So I think the answer is to get back to biblical standards of morality and take a stand on issues, even if it's unpopular, uh, because in the long term, history will prove that when you've taken a stand that is right. You know, a lot of people who are villains, in history are no heroes 
Yeah. I don't know if you realize that, right? And a lot of people who were heroes are now villains. Because when people began to look back on what really, when you look at it, not now, not just on the men of what they accomplished, but look on the question of morality and the treatment of other people, then there's a different assessment of those individuals. And I think that's what's happening now. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It takes place every Tuesday evening from 7.30 p.m. until 9 p.m. There is still plenty of time in the program. We've got an hour and 10 minutes left, so we would love for you to send in your questions or call in with your question. The phone number to call in be put live on the air is one 268 462 7420. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever tuned into That's Truth or even the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. If you'd like to send in your question via WhatsApp or text message, you can send it to the following phone number 1268. 1-268- 7821454. Now we're talking specifically about slavery tonight, but that doesn't mean you can't ask a question about another topic. We'd be glad to answer your questions from a biblical worldview, no matter what topic it may be on. Let me give you that WhatsApp or text number again, 1268-782-1454. Another way you can communicate with us is Facebook Live. I see that we have number of listeners joining us that way. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can comment your questions as a comment under the video feed or beside the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy on air. One thing I would like to say as well, Nathan, if I may say this, you know, uh, what we've got to understand is that is the, all of these problems we have are rooted in man's fallen nature. Okay. And what I mean by that is, uh, it is not a white, black, green, brown problem. It's a heart problem. Our Lord tells us that out of the heart proceed all of these things, hatred, uh, adultery, fornication, extortion. The problem is the human condition of a fallen nature that has a heart, which has to do with the very sinful nature within. we got to understand that that's the root of the problem. If we can understand that that is the root of the problem, Perhaps, in some measure, we will understand it's not just a color problem. It's really a heart problem that has the root of the issue. And nobody can change the heart. Nobody can transform the heart but Jesus Christ. And that's why the, the importance of knowing Christ as Savior and bringing him into the picture. Man cannot solve the human problem. That's called humanism, that man is the end of all things, and man got a solution to all the problems. The truth of the matter is, we are more in a chaotic state today than we've ever been, in spite of all the intellect that we have. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and we've moved away from God. And as a result of moving away from God, we find ourselves in a situation where we are so confused. Uh, we, we've lost our, our system of values, and all we're left with is human opinion. And uh, your opinion and my opinion might differ, so we end up in total confusion because you're a little God, I'm a little God, I'm doing my own thing, you're doing my thing. There's no common standard that we all move towards, and that creates the chaos and the confusion. And it will continue to get worse, because unless you have a, a transcendent standard that you can refer to and everybody's agreeing to, you're going to have all these deviant p- opinions, and you end up in chaos and confusion. Do you think it's possible that Satan is using 
taking advantage of this division and racial disunity in order to hinder the spread of the gospel. But wouldn't you if you were he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if God, God was my enemy. It, yeah. Look, this this is a. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought in that dimension because we think we're in a physical battle. We're actually in a spiritual battle. The Bible makes it very, very clear. Man's uh, God has a destiny for humankind, and that is to be with Him. The enemy is trying to frustrate that plan, and the way they do that is any means whatsoever to keep man divided and, and man fighting each other. Because while you and I are fighting each other, we have no time to contemplate on what's the real big issue in life. We've made this life the whole uh, domain of this warfare, so we are focusing on down here, and we can't reflect on, on greater thoughts on what is. This is, I can't repeat, this is the preamble to eternity. This is like the, the veranda in your house. Eternity is the house. The veranda is just a place preparing you for the house. <laughs> and here we are in the veranda with all this confusion, all this noise, going nowhere. And uh, we miss getting into the house because of all this going on in the veranda. So you've got to really have a different perspective, understand there's an enemy at work. And he seeks to divide and destroy. And the Bible makes that clear. He's called a destroyer in Scripture. And he's called a murder from the beginning. His goal is really to ruin humankind. And he would employ every means to do that. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua. The name of the program is That's Truth. The name of the the voice that you hear doing the teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. It's been quite a while since I shared this, so let me just uh, introduce him to you if you have just tuned into the program in recent time. Uh, Pastor Murphy has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English, a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, a Master's degree in Religion, a Doctorate degree in Counseling, ongoing studies with the Blackford Counseling Center in England, constantly reading and studying. If you know Pastor Murphy at all, you know that that's true. Uh, He's been married for nearly 40 years, Uh, public school teacher for four years. He worked in management for three years, in marketing for four years. So in case you think, oh, he's just a pastor, he doesn't know what the common person like me is facing, that's not true. He's been in the secular workplace. He worked in evangelism for two years in Barbados, ministered and pastored in St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for over 30 years. And he's preached in many churches throughout the Caribbean. Pastor Murphy, as we continue this topic of slavery, you referenced the Caribbean American slave trade, and there are many, uh, I think dreadful is the right word, accounts of that slave trade and what took place. How bad was it? Well, just think about the transatlantic voyage for just a moment. Um, uh, I don't know what word you can really use. Uh, I mean, you can almost exhaust the the dictionary to find uh, words that um, are very negative. I mean, you can call it horrible, you can call it inhumane, you can call it cruel, uh, you can call it an atrocity, whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is, um, here you are, you've got people herded into a ship, they're chained, and they're branded, and they're stacked like sardines in, in different stages. Uh, the voyage takes over 4,000 nautical miles coming across the sea. Imagine you're not coming across in a streamline. I know you're coming across in one of these boats, basically. The passage takes between three to six weeks, depending on the weather. And the voyage was a voyage of suffering, uh, humiliation, of nakedness, sickness, death, and, of course, abuse. 
And then add to that, when you arrive at the place, you know, in bondage for life. Uh, so it's a horrible um, stain on the annals of human history. And there's no doubt that the transatlantic voyage was uh, an experience that uh, the survival rate was, 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 was really very low as well. Uh, uh, but the whole co- concept is that it was a horrible experience, uh, really cruel, and um, words uh, are inadequate to really describe the, the horrors of what took place on that voyage. Pastor Murphy, we have a question that has come in from Antigua. Good evening. My question is to Dr. Murphy is whether or not he affirms the doctrine of total inability, namely that man cannot respond to the gospel unless recognition occurs first. Also, how do we understand the concept of calling to salvation in Scripture seen in Romans 8 and verse 30? Well, look, I, I, that that position that he's talking about there is a Calvinistic position, to be very honest, total depravity. But what does it mean by total depravity? Uh, we believe, I believe, uh, that Christ's death on the cross, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And I believe as a result of Christ's death on the cross, he extends common grace to humankind to put man in the position where man can now make a choice. Uh, you cannot... You cannot, I find it difficult for a man to be damned and he has no choice. I find it, I don't see how that can be just. I don't see how that can be moral. How can you hold me responsible when you know I can't make a choice? Then why do you mock me by telling me, come on to you? Why do you mock me by telling him, come now, let us reason together? I find that that's that, that's at odds with my understanding of the Bible. The Bible treats us as responsible beings who can make choices and make decisions. And on the basis of those choices and decisions, uh, we are held morally responsible. So I do believe in depravity. I am not too sure I believe in the extent that Calvin believed in. I do believe that Christ puts every person in a position where he is now uh, at a, a point where he can make a decision. And uh, I think that's what common grace is about. So I, I, I am one that believes that man is a responsible being, and I don't believe that God mocks us by telling, come unto me, all your labor and heavily, and I will give you rest. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and he that hears say, come. All of these are, are exhortations in the Scriptures appealing to humanity. And if, that, if it is true that we cannot respond, um, I am saying to you that to my mind is to mock man, and I cannot continuous the idea of God mocking man. If God says, uh, come unto me, if God says, and Spirit Bright said, come, and God holds me responsible, it's because he recognizes that I can come, because what Christ did on the cross puts us in a position where man now can make that choice and make that decision. That's my view on the whole matter, and I find it uh, to, to harmonize with Scripture. Uh, and that's my position on that matter. The verse that was referenced is Roman eight, Romans 8 and verse 30, and I'll read that. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And the question in relation to that, how do you understand the calling of salvation? Well, the calling of salvation, as far as I am concerned, is that God gets the gospel to people, and the gospel is presented and uh, when the gospel is presented, the person responds. God calls men to faith in Christ. Uh, there are people who believe in prevenient grace, that grace is imparted to enable you to, to then make the response. I am, I, as a pastor, I am 
uh, in a state of tension uh, between Calvinism and, and uh, Arianism. Uh, I believe that man makes his choice and God enables man to make that choice. So that, that's, that's my view on that matter. And I don't know if that is satisfactory to the person who asked the question, but I'm not, a, I'm not a, um, an extreme Calvinist. Uh, I'm not the person who believes in tulip, um, per- personally. Um, I believe that God in his sovereignty uh, has decided to deal with man on the basis of free will. Uh, that's what I believe. And I believe that God is still sovereign on that basis because he himself as a sovereign God has decided to deal with man on the basis of free will. And I think that the death of Christ has enabled man to the position where man can make a choice when the gospel is presented to that man. And when the gospel is presented, God is calling people to himself. The question is, man has to respond to that gospel. Just a personal follow-up question along with that. Do you believe that we'll ever be able to reconcile or understand how that all fits together? No, I think it's like it's like a, a railroad track. Uh, you've got God's sovereignty and human responsibility. We know that the Bible tells God is sovereign. We know the Bible says that man is responsible. Now, where that converges will only be known in eternity. I don't think down here. This is something that <laughs> I cannot think. If you read church history, this is mm-hmm. a battle that's been going on for centuries. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look at who were Calvinists and who were Armenians, for example, John Wesley was an Armenian, right? He and uh, uh, Whitfield, who was a Calvinist, they got away because uh, uh, Wesley couldn't go along with this idea of predestination that a man is born and he doesn't have a choice, you know. He couldn't go along with that. So you've always have in church history people who move these, these two poles. You've got, and, and, and a lot of Baptists today are somewhere between being Calvinistic and Arminian. Uh, they're not, although the reform movement is becoming, it's growing in America, for example, uh, this, this, this Calvinistic doctrine, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but generally speaking, the independent Baptists, uh, we're neither um, total Calvinists uh, ba- uh, nor we know total Armenian. We're somewhere in between there because we do believe that the Bible teaches both of these things, human responsibility. My problem with, with the whole thing of predestination, uh, that a man before he's born, he's born for hell. Uh, you think about that for just a moment. Th- that is, where's the morality in that? And then how can you hold a man responsible? And that's why I believe that God in his sovereignty has decided to deal with man on the basis of free choice. Otherwise, man is not a moral creature. And he's not made in the image of God, but being a moral creature, he's made in the image of God. Therefore, he, he has a choice. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is five and a half minutes after 8 p.m. on this Tuesday evening. Thank you very much for the individual in Antigua who sent that question in via Facebook. We appreciate you listening and encouraging others to listen and also interacting with us. If you have a question and you would like to ask it, you can call live and be put live on the air by calling one 268 462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 268 Or you can look us up on Facebook. Go to Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed and comment your question there. Pastor, you were talking about how bad the voyage was between the... Uh, between Africa and the Americas. Yeah, I I, I just um, mentioned uh, the things that went on and the distance and the um, the, the length of time. I mean, uh, we all know the Atlantic. 
I don't deal with the Atlantic. Atlantic is not like the Caribbean Sea. The Caribbean Sea is smooth. So I was just trying to say, well, you think a three to six weeks travel, 4,000 uh, 4, miles, nautical miles, uh, you're packed in like uh, one on top of the other. If you've ever seen a, a picture of the boat and how it was, it's layer after layer and just enough space not even to move, to be very honest with you. Imagine making a, a voyage like that uh, for that length of time. So and just to be clear, they weren't getting out to go use the restroom or anything? They did I everything. I don't mean to be They graphic. did everything there, yeah. boss. They yeah. did everything there. And then how do you um, imagine that environment? I mean, it's that's why I said it's a, it's a great blemish, a, a dark mark on the, 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 the history of humankind. And one wonders how could people be so inhumane at that time. But again, if you go back to that period of time, even during the, the Industrial Revolution, in England, for example, you had children below uh, 8, 9, and 10 working in the coal mines sometimes for 12 hours. <laughs> I mean, so you've got to understand the mindset that was there at the time. But when people begin to look at these things, they don't look at the broader picture that the, the mindset was it was far I mean it's incredible what, what used to be allowed except, and then imagine that uh, in those, in, in, going back to that, that period of time a madman was pretty much put a hat on his head and people laughed and thought it was funny that he was mad and made fun of him I mean we have come to a higher level of, of, of uh, morality and understanding and that's because of the pervasive influence of the gospel and the bible that has begun to change people's minds so we cannot judge that era based on a 21st century mindset they've had the gospel for so long. So what is happening today is that we're taking the mindset and the principles of the scripture and we're trying to judge uh, four centuries ago based on our current level of moral understanding. And I think that's a mistake, great, grave, grievous mistake. Pastor, we have a caller from Virgin Gorda calling. Uh, go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, good night. Good night, Pastor Mark. Good night. How are you? Good, sir. Right here. I want to you ask you to... Uh, the, the Michael, the ark, is it Jesus Christ that you refer to in in Jude? Which, which? Yeah, Mike, Satan uh, uh, with the body of Jesus. It's pure the body of Oh, oh, um... Well, we're not too sure exactly what the dispute is about, et cetera, et cetera. It's just uh, speculation there. But uh, it, it, it is, uh, it would seem to indicate that there was some issue about the body of Moses. Uh, is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Yeah. There's some issue there, but we're not, we're not given all the dimensions of that. Uh, Michael, you refer to that Jesus? Michael? Uh, Michael. Michael is, is the Michael is the archangel. He's not Jesus. No, the the, the, oh, okay. uh, the, the say that. yeah, the Jehovah's Witness say that. I know that. Yes. Uh, but if you go into the Bible, Michael was not the archangel. Oh, uh, okay. it's, it's not Jesus. Michael and the Mar uh, Michael's the archangel. It's different between Jesus and mm -hmm. the Michael the archangel. Okay. So Jesus is not an angel, you know that. Jesus is Son of God. Son of but, God. But yeah. that is the mistake that the uh, the JW make in trying to equate. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Michael Archer, and that's a, a, a gross okay, misinterpretation yeah. of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pastor Murphy, did you see my son? Listen, I uh, I've got to apologize to you. I I honestly I honestly I'm gonna ask Nathan after the program. I'm gonna go and see him tomorrow. I promise you that. I honestly oh. forgot. I honestly yeah. forgot, sir. Yeah, I'm gonna. I want you next Tuesday to call me again and double check that I go. But I'm gonna ask Nathan to make sure I go tomorrow to see him because I'm so sorry about that. What yeah. What was his name again? To make sure again. Arville, Arville Jeffrey. Arville, Arville, yes. Okay. Jeffrey. Okay, Jeff. Pastor Murphy, the, 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 the devil is trying to mash up my, okay. my family. I'm going to call you tomorrow after I see him, okay? Mm -hmm. I promise you that. 
Yeah, I'm very glad if you could do that for me, Pastor Murphy. Okay, sir. We'll do. Oh, okay. God bless. Thank you very oh, much for you. your call, and thank yeah. you for listening there in Virgin Gorda. Continue to encourage others to tune in, and we will uh, continue to be broadcasting your direction. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.11. We are... Discussing the topic of slavery, but if you have a question on another topic, we would love for you to call and ask. Uh, You can call 268-462-7420. The phone line is now available again. That'll put you live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your message, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and comment your question there. Pastor, anything else you want to mention about the uh, travel across? Actually, let me jump in. I just saw a question that just Uh came in. Uh, WhatsApp question from Antigua. What's your opinion about Black History Month and should churches be involved? I am somewhat uh, a little bit ambivalent about that because I understand the concerns of um, the black people in the the Caribbean, and uh, I think they feel that they've been robbed of the history, and I feel that they feel there's a a time to try to to bring that history to the attention of the, the population. I don't, I don't have a problem with that because I, I feel that. Um, I, I think there's some justification for trying to get black history into the heads of the, 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 the black people because that's the heritage. I mean, let's mm-hmm. face the facts. I do have a problem uh, with the the churches uh, favoring that kind of a thing. Uh, I do have a problem with that because, again, the, the Caribbean population is a diverse population. If the church approves of it, I don't have a problem with it, but I think they should really discuss it with the members of the church and see what they think, if they think it's a good idea. I probably wouldn't have a problem with it, but uh, I think we got to be careful that we don't go from one position to another position where we um, make—let me put it this way— um, the, the, the race in the Caribbean, you've got Indian, you've got black, you've got white, you've got Chinese, you've got, uh, you've got all different types of races. As long as that is not a problem for people who are in the church, I, I, I really wouldn't have an adverse thing about that. Uh, but I can see, I can see where, it, it, but I, I would hope that if it's being taught from a biblical perspective, and uh, not for one of these radical uh, things that is trying to create hate and division uh, among people. I think if it is if it is discussed from that perspective, I would not approve of it, and I would I really wouldn't want it even in our church. But uh, I think as long as it's done in a way that dignifies the the the, the black heritage and uh, just point out facts, et cetera, et cetera, without trying to create. Uh, uh, racial strife and, and disharmony and, and, and disunity and create uh, hatred and stuff like that. I think that's where I would have a problem. Pastor, we have another caller on the line calling from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you very much for calling and go ahead with your question, please. Happy New Year. 
Good evening, Hi, good evening, sir. How are you doing, Mr. Williams? Well, well. Good, good. Brother Nathan, how are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Good to hear your voice again. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank uh, you. Uh, good to see you in church last Sunday. Appreciate that. Yes, thank you. Yes, I visit. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah, Pastor Murphy, I have two, two words of scripture that I want to do. Explain to me, please. I would like If to I can, I will, sir. Uh, Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs 26. Verse 2. To first three to five. Three to five. And first Corinthians chapter two. What's that? First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians two. Verse thirteen to sixteen. Thirteen to sixteen. Yeah. All right, uh, Nathan, you can check those All up. All right, Proverbs twenty six three to five says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Verse 4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Okay. Uh, that's a... <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm trying to... Uh, I'm looking at it here in my own Bible here. Let me just look at it quickly. Um uh, because I, read it again for me, Nathan. Yeah, Proverbs twenty six three through five. Okay. A whip for the horse, okay. a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Okay. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also likewise be like unto him. And for, for those who are at home and you're wanting to follow along in your Bible, we're in tw- Proverbs 26, verses 3 to 5. Verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Um, let me, if, would you let me to give that some thought to this? Uh, we're going to give you a quick answer um, and answer that next week. Anything. I can give you a rash answer for that, but... The, the reason why I want to do that is because you notice that in one case it says answer not according to a fool, a fool and then it tells him to do the same thing. There seems yeah. to be an element of um, contradiction there. And I would rather, uh, I would rather uh, spend some time on that and come up with a better answer and just give you an answer off my head. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. Okay, so I, that's one I'll respond to then. Let's look at the other ones. First Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2 verses 13 to 16 says the following... Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can we know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15 and 16 says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, this one is much more easier to respond to. um, uh, Because what is drawing a dichotomy here between the natural man and the spiritual man? And the Apostle Paul is saying that the natural man doesn't have the spiritual capacity to understand spiritual things. And the reason why he doesn't have that capacity is because he's deficient of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But we who have the Spirit have been given the mind of Christ. So the Spirit of God is the teacher, and he brings to our understanding uh, biblical truth. So the deficiency in the natural man is not his intellect. 
Um, you've got people who are very, very smart, have got their PhDs, their MSCs, and the MAs and BAs, and, and all the other diplomas they can have, but their capacity to understand spiritual truth, they're so deficient. I, I, I think I mentioned on the radio some time ago that when I was teaching at Ellesley Secondary School in, in Barbados, I had a guy there who was a brilliant guy in, in, in French. He had his degree in French, a, a Barbadian guy, uh, very, very, very knowledgeable. But I would I would be reading my Bible during my lunchtime, and he would come to me sometimes, and we'd sit down and talk. And I would never forget one day he told me, in essence, you know, I read my Bible, and I can't understand a thing it says. Hmm. Now here's a man who has a degree, he's been to University of the West Indies, but I, then I, I understood what it meant. It's not that he doesn't understand the words, he doesn't understand the meaning of the words, and that's where uh, you can have uh, a smart intellect, you can have uh, knowledge, but if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not born again. You don't have the unction of the Holy Spirit that enables you to understand Scripture. And that is why an uh, um, elderly lady who had never even been to uh, secondary school, she could probably take the Bible and explain to him what the Bible is teaching because she has the Spirit of God who teaches her and brings tr- spiritual truth to her understanding. So it's contrasting the spiritual man who has the Spirit of God and the man that is a natural man without being born again, not having the Holy Spirit, and saying to him, in essence, that he lacks the capacity to understand the spiritual truth of the Bible. He can read it and probably quote it, even memorize it, but the meaning of it, uh, he's totally deficient in that regard. Does that help? Yes, yes, yeah, you, look, you, uh, what you're going to do, you will meet people that uh, uh, that are, I mean, could be doctors, lawyers, uh, people that, um, you know, people who people think are big up today. And you will carry on a conversation with them about spiritual truth, and you find that they have no interest, they don't even understand what you're saying. They probably think that you and I are dumb because of these spiritual things, but the, the, the dumbness and the deficiency is not in ourselves, it's in them, it's just that they can't see the light because they do not have the Spirit of God, they're not born again. And that's why it's important that when we, we get saved, the Spirit of God comes within us, and the Spirit of God is to teach us the Word, so that you'll be hearing the Word of God preach, and then that truth is confirmed. You say, that's truth. I mean, I, I've heard that, read it, I never understood it before. Now the Holy Spirit brings it before your attention, and He explains to you what that is, and that is confirming your heart that this is biblical truth. But it's the deficiency of not having the Spirit that's the difference between the natural man and the, and the saved man. Because why, why, why I, I tell you I have to do read it and explain it to me on the radio because the other guy fishing with, and I had talking to him and the argument yet he talked, he tell me that. I tell him, boy, I'm not sure man, I understand not the things of God. Uh-huh. He tell me, I'm a liar, I got no way in the Bible. I tell him, boy, the wife is a Christian. Yeah. Ask her. Yeah. But because at the same time, I could remember with birth, with, yeah. with book. Yeah. So I, I tell him, boy, it's in the Bible, I of course remember right on because my head is so hot. Yeah, that's right. He tell me, he tell me he wants me to tell him. So when I go home, I stretch it and I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I call him. Yeah, I yeah. I tell him, listen on the radio tonight when uh-huh. <laughs> when Pastor Murphy will be on, on the program. Yeah. And listen, I don't know if you listen in. Yeah, but you're going to, you're going to, Mr. Williams, you're going to find that again and again that you're dealing with people when you go witnessing. Yeah. Uh, you try to explain to them the gospel. You try to explain to them the, the substitution death of Christ uh, and stuff like that. You begin to, you know, and it's like you're talking to a brick wall. Uh, it's not that they're not hearing what you're saying. But they just can't absorb the truth of what is being said. And that's where the Spirit of God is needed to enlighten people to understand biblical truth. 
And that's why I say there are people who have never been to university, never been to secondary school, but their knowledge of Scripture and their capacity to understand Scripture and teach Scripture and, and explain Scripture is just something that is phenomenal. And people just say, but I can't believe this person never went to a college. It's because the Spirit of God is the great teacher that indwells the believer and brings these truths to her, his mind and to his understanding. Okay. God bless you. I'll you respond know, to the next one, the, the, the Proverbs 26 next week, okay? God bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Have a blessed night. Uh, Pastor Murphy, for the individual who says, Pastor, I'm in that category. I don't really understand the true meaning of these words in these verses that I'm reading, but I want to. How should I proceed? Again, I would recommend that, um, you know, if you are in a desire uh, within your heart, uh, this is not natural. This may be the movement of God bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ. He's, he creates this dissatisfaction within you so that there is a longing to know biblical truth. This is not something that is, is, is natural and, and uh, on the human level. This is God working in your life, and perhaps uh, he's been doing that for a period of time. I, I would recommend that if you really seriously searching for the Lord and you want to understand biblical truth, I would suggest that you, first of all, Pray for understanding, okay? David said, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous truths in thy word. If God knows that you are sincerely seeking him to know truth, I can guarantee you that God will either bring someone along your way to open that truth to you, or as you're reading the scriptures and you're praying to him, he will bring that truth to your understanding. Uh, so that would be my recommendation. And, you know, if you don't understand, the, look, there are some sh- things on the Bible that are on the surface. There's some on below the surface. There's some that are deep, some that are um, pretty much uh, very, very clear. Uh, I would recommend don't get into one of those. Don't read the book of Revelations, for, for example, to, to, if you don't understand the, the basics. Uh, read the book of John, for example. That's a, a very good book to start with. And uh, if you need... Uh, answers you're not too sure try going to a church a church where the word of God is preached sit under the word of God and let you know if you want God to speak to you be the place where God is and God has promised that where two or three are gathered there he is in the midst so if you're searching for God go for a place where God is and that's the church and uh, sit under the message and uh, as you are there the spirit of God will use the word of God to bring you to faith in Christ and then as you become a believer in him the indwelling spirit will teach you and then of course the pastor or someone there can help you in a, a Bible study etc etc and then of course there's some books you can recommend that will help you to understand and interpret the Bible etc and uh, you need to get a good study Bible for example and you need to have some kind of a system that you can do regular Bible study etc but um, if you are seeking and searching uh, I would re- recommend praying to God and asking for enlightenment and uh, use your Mind and your 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 choice and be in a place where God can speak to you. Sit on the the, the 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 place where the gospel is preached, and keep on reading the Word, and keep on seeking Him. And He said, "If you seek Me with all your heart, He said, you're going to find Me." That's a promise He gave uh, to us. But Pastor, some people say that God doesn't hear the prayer of the unsaved person. So if I'm not a Christian, and I am praying for God to open my eyes, will He hear that prayer? Now, that's a myth that God doesn't hear the unsaved person. I can show that's a myth. For example, if you read Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is not saved yet. He's, he's saved in that same chapter when Peter comes to him. But you remember when the Lord sent Peter 
and uh, he shall he, he, the angel was sent to speak to Cornelius. He told Cornelius, uh, "The Lord have heard your prayers and uh, your alms given." I think he said. So he is a man who's searching for truth, a, a centurion searching for truth, and he's praying that somehow he would get to know that truth. God hears that prayer and then sends Peter to meet him. And then he's brought the faith at Peter's preaching. So clearly, to say that he doesn't hear an unsaved prayer is to deny that biblical truth where in the book of Acts it's clear that the Lord remembers your prayer and your alms giving. Uh, that is not true. When a man is seeking God with his heart, um, and that man is praying to God, God is hearing his prayer. It, 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 God is not hearing the prayer of an unsaved man who's asking frivolous things. I mean, God, give me a new house, give me a new car, give me a new girlfriend, or something of that nature. But if a person is seeking God with all his heart to find the true and the living God, uh, you bet God is hearing that person and will bring someone along the way uh, to open up that truth to him. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 827. We have 30 minutes left in the program tonight. Still plenty of time for you to send in your questions or call in with your questions. Thank you very much to each of you who have interacted with us tonight. That's why we're here. If you are listening to this as a rebroadcast on Saturday afternoon, go ahead and send in your question. We won't answer it on Saturday afternoon, but we will answer it next Tuesday as we begin the program at 7.30 next Tuesday. You can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor, jumping back to the topic of the brutality of the slave trade. Anything else before we move on? No, I think we can move on to the whatever next question you may have. We can we can probably while we I think this dovetails with it, what were some of the methods of purchasing or securing slaves? Well, there, there are several several things that were done. Sometimes it was trickery, um, requesting a meeting and then they were captured. Sometimes it was just by force. Uh, other times they were kidnapped. Uh, and then, of course, they were exchanged for European uh, manufactured goods uh, bought in exchange. Also, there were tribal captives, like the tribes at war and uh, the, the slaves that were, were captured. They were sold to the, the slave traders. And then there were times when even parents would sell their children. Uh, especially, Why children. would a parent do that? Well, because of willful disobedience or, or, or something of that nature. But that's also a factor that it was done. I mean, it was, it's a foreign exchange you're talking about. I mean, this is not the first people that have sold people. I mean, people sell people for everything, basically. Yeah. If you have a rebellious child who you just can't control, um, even today there are people who put children out and uh, discard children, uh, and you, you can't fathom. But that's human nature. So there, there, there are a lot of different uh, means that were used, trickery, force, kidnapping, uh, exchange of European goods, uh, tribal captives who were sold, and of course, uh, parents selling their children. But the thing I need to say here, Nathan, that needs to be understand: the African middleman is complicit in this whole horrible crime. See, they were the men, people that would get the slaves and sell it to the European. So it's not just that you know some people make an idea that though the Europeans went and grabbed them and brought them. That's not that that did happen in cases, but in the majority of cases, it was the middleman, the African middleman, that would get the slave and sell it. To, it's like, it was like it was like a commodity. Mm. So he was also complicit in this whole thing, and and that is the nature of the beast that we are talking about. It was a horrible, uh, atrocious moral um, act against um, 
human beings. And uh, it's not just the European, it's uh, part of this whole thing, it's the, the African middleman as well that's complicit in it. If it's even possible to answer this, what would you say was the driving force or the motivating factor for the Caribbean American slave trade? Well, I don't need to speculate about that. I think it's a well-known thing. It's a matter of commerce. It, it, it's a money-making business racket. That's what it is. Uh, workers were needed for the sugar plantations and for the tobacco plantations. And uh, the, it was worked out where this commercial-based enterprise was kind of a triangular uh, framework. For example, you got cheap manufactured goods from Europe that were traded for African slaves. Uh, the slaves were then sold uh, by the Africans in exchange. And they were brought to the Caribbean and sold to the tobacco and, uh, and sugar plantation owners in the West Indies who produced rum and, and, and sugar and tobacco. That was then exchanged for, for that, and that commodity was taken to Europe and sold. So it was, it, you needed the slaves to work the plantation, produce the rum and the alcohol and the, and the sugar, go to Europe. So it's like a, as a triangular thing was going. It's a whole matter of commerce. It's all about greed and money. And that's why the Bible says the love of money is what? The root, the of, root all. of all kinds of evil. And this was a commercial system uh, that was operative. And the commodities uh, were needed uh, for the European uh, market. And it was a vicious, heartless commercial system. But the heart of it was the slave who would produce the labor to produce the goods and the commodities, which were then sold and then exchanged for the manufactured goods in England. So that was the vicious triangular cycle that went on. Here's a question that last time I had a discussion about uh, slavery in the Bible, someone asked, and I'd be curious to hear your perspective, could a Christian own a slave and still be a Christian? Yeah, I think so. But the problem is there is, look, p- Christians make some massive mistakes, uh, in, in the, in the, not in the past, but even now. Uh, there are some people that, that do some things that I believe is you can't fathom. For example, for me, let me just tell you this. You've heard about the Ravi Zacharias situation. Yeah, yeah. I can't fathom that up to now. I'm not, I'm in a daze. How can a man of that influence, a man of that brilliance, that man of that learning, if you ever heard his testimony of how he got saved at one time he was going to commit suicide as a little boy and how the Lord worked in his life, then you ask how a man in that at that stage in his life allows this moral fall in such a way that now the name of God is blasphemed. It's all over the internet. People are now using it as an excuse, et cetera, et cetera. You ask Maybe how we does should that preface this by saying allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. yeah. But it is, it is true that his organization yeah. has hired a lawyer who investigated this, and they've come out and said, these, these, these are no longer allegations. These are things that really happened. Okay. Right? So it, it did happen. How does that happen? Because of man's sinful nature. Yeah. See, we all have foot of clay, and we can get away from God. Look, anything any man has ever done, you're capable of doing. I repeat wow. that. Anything any man has ever done, you and I, not just you, you and I are capable of doing. But I'm above that, Pastor. Oh, well, the Bible said, let him think he stands, take lead, and yeah. fall, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're now headed for a position where you may very well put God to a challenge to show you how weak you are, to be very honest, and put the enemy at work. The truth of the matter is that we are all sinners. Uh, there's no perfection down here. We all make mistakes. And in the, the system during the colonial days and also during the slave trade, the interpretation of the Bible uh, was twisted and distorted and misused to support slavery. And there's no question that you can use the Bible to support anything. 
you just find a verse out of context, not understanding the purpose of it, and you and that's what happened during the slavery slave trade. They saw verses like in the Old Testament where it seemed as though when the Lord made the Canaanites, when they, they, they um, were made slaves after those that weren't destroyed, uh, it sees that Abraham and Sarah had Hagar from Egypt. So they said, you know, obviously the Bible endorses. And then you come to Paul's teaching in Colossians and Ephesians, where Paul talks about masters and slaves and uh, don't answer back and be the best work you can be, etc. And says, see what we're telling you? But again, it's a complete misunderstanding that what the Bible is doing in every case, whether the Old Testament or New Testament, it is restraining the abuse of a system that is a socio-economic system that's in place. And what the Bible is doing is mitigating the abuse by putting regulations in place to avoid uh, the um, the abuse of it. That's what it's about. It's not that the Bible sanctions it. or It's like divorce. No one can read the Bible and think that God endorses divorce. But he did allow it in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Why? Because of the hardness of the human heart. The human condition is such that God made allowance uh, for the human condition and the fallen condition. Uh, but what God did was to regulate divorce so that a woman uh, would not be having to fend for herself because she was divorced and now nobody wants to marry her. He had to give a, 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 a letter of divorcement and then there had to be a reason why it was done. But it's all about mitigating the abuse. And that's where I, when you come into... Uh, let me just say something else, uh, Nathan. Government was ordained of God. Okay. okay, whether that be a democratic government or even a communist government. Okay? Really? Yeah, because government is to restrain human sin. That doesn't. When we look at what the ideal government in, in the scriptures, the Bible seems to endorse um, ultimately what you might call a, uh, a monarchy. Monarchy is really the ideal because Christ is going to be a king at one time and rule. But you, we, we don't trust monarchs today because. Um, they are fallen creatures who tend to go to extremes. That's why democracy is is probably the, the best model of what we should be. So the per- people have a choice. But um, the point I'm making here that if whether you're living in a communist country or you're living in a democratic country, Christians must live under the law as long as that law does not ask you to do something contrary to Scripture. So when the, the, the Christians were living in the communist regime uh, in Russia even today, uh, basically, or even in China, there are millions of Chinese Christians, if you know that. I mean, I'm not talking about two yeah. or three millions, but they are living in a communist system. And what they've got to do, basically, they're not to start a revolution and raise guns and destroy the, the country. That's not the, the way of doing it. In the, Their way is to practice the Christian principles, moral principles, virtues, and hoping that the impact of their lives would influence the system. And if they happen to be in a position within government to use their Christian influence to try to change what needs to be changed, but the idea of picking up arms and, and killing people, that's never the biblical model. Christians are not revolutionary, they're transformers. And they they, 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 they try to influence by their lives and by the, the and by the gospel. So we, we bring about bring about peaceful change. And, and in the case of whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, the system of slavery is not something the Bible invented. That's some assistant man created. You're living under that regime. The thing is, is that you must live within that system. But what God did was to mitigate it, to restrain it, and put certain regulations in place to, uh, to, to avoid abuse. When we started to study the Old Testament, which I hope we get a chance to look at what were the regulations that would govern slavery, you would see that <laughs> it's amazing how... Um, under the Jewish economy 
and, and during the Jewish law, uh, how different it was in contrast to the other nations around, and how compassionate it was uh, as what you could do with slave. For example, Nathan, in the Old Testament, um, you can only hold a slave for seven years. At the end of seven years, you've got to release him. And even if it's not the seven years a year, you believe you got to release him if you only got him for three years. So you, you've got to release him. And not only that, if you if you are a, 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 a master owner were in his anger to knock a teeth out of a slave, you had to set him free. Wow. Not only that, in the book of Deuteronomy, if the slave escaped and he comes to your home, you can't return him to the master. He has to live with you. All of that is in the book of Deuteronomy, see? So I am saying that these are and when people don't understand what the Bible is teaching on these matters it's not that it proves it it's mitigating and trying to say to the Jews you must not be as cruel and as mean as the other nations and it put restrictions on them same thing in the Old Testament in the New Testament when Paul advises uh, slaves uh, and again it's not black slaves now so please understand that but slaves living in the Roman Empire um, he's saying to them, you know, your goal is to be salvific in everything you do. As a Christian, you must, even though the master, he's a master, you must still love the master that you want the master to get saved, just that you got saved because he's a fallen creature and he's a, he's a sinner just that you are depraved. And your goal should be to influence him to change. But you don't take a knife and stab him. You don't take a gun and shoot him. By your life, by your example, you are going to try to transform him as he observes your life. That's the whole thing that Paul is teaching. Not that the Bible endorses it, but it puts restraints. When you talked about Philemon, for example, when uh, uh, Onesimus uh, ran away, the slave, and Paul met him in prison, and Paul told him, you know, you need to go back. Again, he's living under the Roman system. You, you can't, you, you had to return so Paul is just living within the law. But then he tells uh, Philemon, receive him now as a brother. Treat him as a brother. <laughs> See what I'm saying? All of those principles that you'll find in the New Testament eventually became the same principle used by the abolitionists about brotherhood and all, was now used to pull down the whole system of slavery. But it was not, it was not the secularists that brought down slavery. It was the Bible and people who took the Bible and properly interpreted the Bible and showed the brotherhood of mankind and the fact that man was created in the image of God, the redemption of Christ, and treating your neighbor as yourself. All of these were principles that were used to pull down slavery eventually. So it's a complete abuse. Uh, let me just say this as well. There are Christians that abused it uh, to keep people enslaved. No question about that. And that is because they thought that because the Bible allowed it, the Bible endorsed it. They didn't understand the idea that uh, this is, a, you know, God didn't create it, but he had to mitigate it. And again, if you think about the, the same thing I was talking about, divorce. The Bible says God hates divorce, but yet he permitted it. And he explained why the hardness of people's heart. Man is in a fallen condition and it's not a perfection. So he made allowance in that case. The same thing when it came to slavery. Now, I've heard the claim that, in fact, I know it's true, uh, that there were those who used Scripture or attempted to use the Bible to defend uh, slavery. And then, obviously, you just referenced that the abolitionists used Scripture uh, to defend their view and their perspective. Is it a legitimate claim that the Bible legitimizes slavery? 
Look, I, I think if you don't understand the the role that the that uh, God plays in relation to treating men as moral creatures in a fallen world, um, you know, people people got to realize that, uh, and people say, well, God could have prevented, God could prevent it. That the fact is that man make a choice as a result of human choices. We've got all these sinful conditions today. Man has never listened to God. Man still lives in rebellion. Uh, and, and as a result of that, what God can do is to just put things in place to, to mitigate these situations. And when, as far as his people is concerned, that's exactly what he did. He put these things in place to try to curtail the abuse of the system. Um, so there is truth that uh, people who held <coughs> slaves use the scripture to support that. There's no question about that. But that was the misuse and the abuse of scripture. And again, that takes us to have to go into the Old Testament to see exactly um, what the Old Testament uh, taught on this matter. I want to, I mentioned several things, Nathan. Let's look at the Old Testament, for example, and the treating of, of, of slaves to get, give you an idea uh, that the abuse of Scripture was really the problem, not the sanction of Scripture. I know you might think this strange, but look at Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 15 and 16. I just mentioned this a moment ago, but let's, let's see it's actually there. Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16. 16 says, Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee even among you in that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates where it liketh him best. Thou shalt not oppress him. I mean, it can be very, very clear. The dignity of the slave, he's escaped. No, you have no right. By the way, let me just show you the difference. In the Old Testament, in the same book of Deuteronomy, if a man had a cow or animal and he escaped, and you found him, you had to return him. In the case of a slave, you can't do that. Hmm. It recognizes humanity, right, in that regard. He said, as a matter of fact, you let him live with you where he chooses to live, and one thing, you don't oppress him. Okay, so even in the Old Testament, now this is the most compassionate laws you'll ever find. You read Hammurabi's laws in his book with slavery. There's nothing to compare with what the Bible is teaching. This is not perfection, but this is the mitigation of abuse, even under the Old Testament economy. And this is giving the idea that God values the individual, and uh, you must respect his dignity and not return him into bondage because that was never God's intent that man control another man. Again, you've got to go back to the creation story to understand what God's plan was. Never was it that man be a slave to another person, but sin has brought in all of this and part of the consequence of human sin and punishment is that slavery has been allowed and throughout civilization, uh, those who conquer each other have always enslaved. This is not something new in that regard. That's a good passage to keep in mind. And if you're listening and you want to keep it, jot it down, it's Deuteronomy 23, verses 15 and 16. A good passage to turn to when people are saying that the Bible uh, supports slavery. Yeah. There's another thing, too, in the, in the Old Testament that is very, very significant to show you the, the level of equality and the dignity and the, and the recognition of the personality of the individual. Slaves would, were able to share the same religious life as the Jews. Now, remember the Jews, the highest thing for the Jew is his relationship with God, Jehovah. But it is very, very significant that the slave was to be circumcised and he was able to participate in the religious services, the, the Passover and so on. Now, that's very significant because what was the symbol, what was the meaning of circumcision to the Jew? 
You set apart to God? Not only set apart, you became into the Abrahamic covenant by circumcision. Okay. See? So even at that level, uh, the highest level of the Jewish religion, even at that level, you find in the Old Testament, the slave is now allowed to be circumcised to the Jew uh, into the Abrahamic covenant, and he's able to share in the same religious services with the Jew. For example, look at, uh, look at um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 44. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 44 says the following. But every man's servant that is brought that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. Right, but if you read the whole section, you'll find what it's what, that, in the context of what it's doing. Look also at Leviticus chapter 22, verse 11. Leviticus 22, 22 11. 11 says... But if the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. And he that is born in his house, they shall eat of his meat. Right. So he shared the same common things with the priest. Look at Deuteronomy 12, verse 12 and verse 18. Deuteronomy 12. 12 and verse 18. Okay. And ye shall rejoice there before the Lord your God, Ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servant and your maid servant, and the Levite that is within your gates, forasmuch as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. And verse 18 says, But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maid servant and the Levite that is within thy gates. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. Again, the Atomic Levites uh, before the Lord enjoying the the the, uh, the sacrifices, etc., etc. And notice that the manservant, that's the manslave, the the, the the mate, that's the woman slave. All of them are sharing in the same religious activities, etc., etc. So again, that is showing you that even within the Old Testament, uh, there was not this segregation that developed as a result of slavery. You had the black church, the white church, etc., etc. Within Israel, the slave had the same access to the religious services and shared in the same services as the Jew. That is very, very, very significant. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 21, verse 20. Exodus 21 and verse 20 reads as follows. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Again, you just could not abuse. He's a human being. Uh, and, and notice that the master is punished now for striking the servant. If it does happen, again, he does. he's not absolved of responsibility. There's a penalty to be paid as a result of that. Also, look at uh, Exodus 21, verse 26 and 27. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. Verse 27. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. So there is compensation. The compensation is his freedom, his liberty. He can't wait no to seven years. He's, he's, he's abused his servant. And Lord said, you got to let him go. You just can't keep him there like that. Because if you abuse him once, and you get away with it, what's going to happen again? again. He's going to do it a second. God said, no, no. We're going to mitigate that. We're going to stop that. And the moment you do injury to the, the, your servant, uh, your slave, you got to release him. 
All of these are clearly uh, God's intent, that God never intended any kind of abuse. And that's why he imposed these regulations to mitigate the abuse of slavery. Um, I think that those are examples of... um, um, of the fact that God treated the even the slave uh, in, in the Old Testament days as a person with dignity, as a person with certain rights, religious rights, and a person that once he secured his freedom, whether he was running away or not, you could not uh, take him back, and you had to learn to stay within your territory, and you could not oppress him at that point in time. There are other things that we can look at, Nathan, that you always find in the Scriptures that God's concern is for three, three, three groups. The stranger the alien, the poor, the person in minority, and uh, the person who is a widow. Again and again, there's so many different Bible verses that uh, gives you the idea of the whole design of equality. For example, look at Leviticus 24, 22. Leviticus 24, 22 says... Ye shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger as for one of your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Again, the stranger is the the person who is, we, we call it alien, a person who like is a, a foreigner. foreigner. Okay. Exactly, the minority person. God said, listen, you can't have a law for your people and a different law for him. You must put them in the same level of equality as far as the law is concerned. Look at Leviticus, Exodus twelve forty nine. Exodus twelve forty nine reads as follows. One law shall be to him that is home-born and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Okay, you can't, the foreigner. I mean, all of this is, is just giving the idea that this concept of equality, you've got to treat people as human beings. You can't have one law because you happen to be a Jew and somebody comes in and they're not a Jew and you've got a different law to that. This whole concept of equity and, and justice is a very important principle uh, when it came to the, the Jew- Jewish system of, of, of worship and also the Jewish economy of law. Uh, the other thing is, look at Leviticus nineteen thirty-three to 34. Notice that the alien or the stranger was to be fully incorporated into society and uh, treated on the same level. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's an amazing verse. I mean, that's an amazing verse. You treat, again, why, why, why is this treatment required uh, of the foreigner or the stranger the same level of love that you have for your own? Because... People are made in the image of God. People have value. And uh, pigmentation, uh, color, race, class is uh, not to be a differential when you're dealing with people because you deal with people as persons. And that is why in a case like this, he said, listen, treat him like, like you love the other guy and, and uh, you know have the same law. Look at also at um, Exodus 23, verse 9. So as I'm turning there, I'm curious, does that passage still apply today? Uh, like for people who are foreigners in Antigua or people who are foreigners in the U.S. or the U.K.? I would say it applies to people who are, are, are legally in, in, in the country. 
Uh, we're not talking about people who come in as criminals and stuff like that. We were talking about people who are legally in your country. Uh, um, you should treat a foreigner like and the laws for a foreigner should be the same for everybody. I think within the democracies in the Caribbean and the, the Western world, I think that is true. So there's no place for xenophobia? Oh, no, there's no place for xenophobia for sure. But I, I do believe this, though, uh, Nathan. I do believe that every country has a right to regulate its immigration policy. Okay. I mean, you have to. I don't. I don't think that Antigua or Barbados or any islands would just want any and everybody to come to your country. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, today you can you can have drug people come in, you can have prostitutes come in, you can have people who can be drained on the economy. So I do feel that governments have a right. But once they are legal, I think the same respect should be shown to them as to the, the nationals. I think that is biblical. Exodus twenty three nine says, "Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger." For ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Yeah. Again, he's, he's using what Israel experienced, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now uh, he's saying to you, you've got to remember what it was like when you were a stranger in that country. You remember the whip, you remember all the... Now when the stranger comes here, you've got to always take in mind that you were in that condition and what you didn't like for yourself, you can't want for the guy now. It's all appeal to a moral principle of equality, to be very honest with you, and the dignity of the human being. And then look at Deuteronomy 10.18. Deuteronomy 10.18 says... He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Again, you know, God has has now pledged himself to take care of those three categories. See, Again, it shows a loving, compassionate God. And we know that he chose Israel. We know that, special people. But Israel is always a means to an end. It was never an end in themselves. Israel was supposed to be a centripetal force to be an example so that the nations are drawn to Israel because of the blessings of God and the morality that she had. Nations want to be like Israel because God is blessing Israel because Israel is, is uh, moral, she's spiritual, and God just pointed his blessing so that people are drawn. It's just like the purpose of the church. All right? The whole purpose of the church is to draw people by the way we live. Uh, but the way we treat others, people should want to be part of the church because the church is so unique. And that's why I say to you, <laughs> the moral failure of the church during these times of slavery. Just think for just a moment, Nathan. Let's suppose that Christians had really taken it, the Bible very seriously on, on this matter and had lived out the Bible in spite of the the, the vested um, uh, power brokers when it comes to the economy and the commerce, etc. And were to really take a stand and say, we cannot allow discrimination. We cannot allow that one person drink from this function but the other can't drink. They can't ride in the same bus, can't go in the same restaurant, can't go in the same church. If Christians had taken a stand then, think of the moral power that would have today to deal with a lot of the social issues. Yeah. But the church, because of its compromise and its silence, uh, has got people saying, but you 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 did the same thing before so you don't have a voice in this whole matter. So it's muted the influence of the church as a result of not taking a stand when it should have taken a stand. Pastor, you've referenced a couple of times the fact that Scripture was misused or taken out of context in order to support the ownership of slavery. I'm a big fan of applying lessons from the past to today. Mm -hmm. Are there things in Scripture that you feel that Christianity in general is taking out of context and is misusing that a few generations from now, if the Lord tarries, will look back and say, these are areas 
where the church was silent, the church should have taken a stronger stand. Well, one of the things that uh, I just want to use one of the verses that the church used and the people in the uh, to, to support the thing they use the passage in um, the book of Genesis, which talk about when God cursed Canaan. Yeah, they use that as an excuse, saying that that was a curse on the black man. Right? No, no, Canaan was a son of Ham, where you get the 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 the, the black ways from. But they, Canaan was cursed for a particular purpose. It was Canaan that was cursed. It was not Ham that was cursed. But they used the connection and said it was Ham that was cursed. So they were saying basically the blacks were cursed. And they used that as an excuse for racism and to keep black people down. In other words, it was abuse of Scripture. And even though it's so clear in Scripture, I had a guy one time who told me that Cain was cursed. Uh, and he was made black because God cursed him. And had a person who told me that. Where do a, you find that in Scripture? It's not there. That's the point I'm making, Nathan. It's not there. It's the abuse of Scripture, the misuse of Scripture, and it's done tremendous damage to the credibility of the Bible. I trust that you have enjoyed this topic, hearing what the Bible says, and we are by no means done with this topic. We have a lot of material left. Pastor touched briefly on the Old Testament. We will next week pick up with any questions that have come in, and we will continue this topic of the sla- of slavery, what the Bible has to say about slavery, and what the New Testament has to say about the topic of slavery. Thank you for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.